What's going on there, guys? Welcome to Upshot, your monthly podcast where we talk about recent creative news. So if you're a video editor, motion designer, animator, or anything in between, this is the podcast for you. We're going to be talking about more post-production-y sort of side of things. So not really going into cameras or lenses or say, for example, what I think it was last month, which was mobile phones and mobile content creation. We are going to be talking more about things like Maxon's 2021 lineup. So there's tons of different shows and live stream tutorials going about this year. And the best thing of all, you don't need to pay for all of it. So there's lots of free information coming up. Then we're going to be talking about Adobe 15.0 update. So we're going to be talking about After Effects, 3D ground plane, motion graphics templates, Photoshop now works with Apple's new line of processors. And of course, we're going to be talking about the Premiere Pro caption workflow. Is it the holy grail or no? We also have a nifty little tutorial that we spotted for EB Synth, and basically that's produced by Academy of Edits. Uh, it's a neat way of basically applying quick VFX shots, and Academy of Edits have used it to change three shots within Harry Potter. And finally, we have Frame IO Transfer 1.1. What's basically new in this version, and why would you use this instead of the web application, aka through the browser? And we're also going to be talking about our own updates and what we've been up to. So first off, we of course have Maxon's 2021 events lineup and you can see them all by the way at maxon.net slash en slash events. And that's going to have all the details that you need to know, including whether or not it will be a physical event or a remote event, I think. So it's mostly sort of digital live streams and demonstrations, presentations, as you can see on the site. A few physical ones too, like SIGGRAPH USA, Ars Electronica, and NAB. And there's, it's also been said that there's a hope to return of in-person trade shows like the IBC show, which is slated for the 10th to the 13th of September. You also notice that the NAB show has now moved to October the 11th to the 13th. So hopefully those go ahead, but keep in mind that events getting delayed or outright postponed is not exactly unusual in this current time, unfortunately. However, I don't think you'll be able to go physically in most cases, unfortunately, as apparently from Pro Video Coalition, and I quote, these shows have already announced that they are unable to conduct an in-person event this year and will instead take place virtually via live stream. So I think most people are still going to be able to view these events through live stream, it's just they're not going to be able to go there in person. Unfortunate, but that's unfortunately unfortunate. There we go. Nailed it. So I think you'll probably be able to access anything Maxon related on the Maxon YouTube channel too. So they've been fairly good at re-uploading anything that they present or show off really. I suppose it does really depend on your perspective, whether or not you're slightly introverted like me, um, whether or not this is a good or bad thing. But consider at the very least some amount of savings on a plane ticket and accommodation. Now it's not all bad news of course 
course, for those of you who are familiar with this, the events on here also include the 3D and motion design show, which is back after a few months break. And I think their last episode went out four months ago. This is probably the most immediately useful thing for you guys, which is uh, also free by the way. And you can watch the March edition on their YouTube channel and website at 3dmotionshow.com, uh, which is free by the way. And you can also watch the March edition on Maxon's YouTube channel or go to their website at 3dmotionshow.com. If you don't know what that is, that's a series of 3D and motion design streaming shows which air throughout the year. The first one aired on the 17th of March and the next one will be airing, I think, from April 13th to the 15th. It's presented by figures like Matthias Amotala and Paul Babb. The bulk of the show isn't just talking and news and stuff like that. It's actually broken up into presentations. So I think you have a selection of artists, uh, professionals who are on there who are basically just talking about different ways of achieving things through Cinema 4D or the Red Giant Suite using After Effects. By the way, you don't actually need to go to the six-hour show in order to see the presentation. Uh, you can, of course, go to the YouTube channel, Maxon's YouTube channel, and each presentation will be broken up into its different video, and I think some of those videos even have chapters to them. So if you're just interested in presentations, you can, of course, go down that route. So I think from that March show, there is currently, at the time of recording, four presentations from talented VFX artists and motion designers. So one of them was pretty cool, and that was hosted by Daniel Hashimoto. Basically, it was illustrating how you can use Cinema 4D displacement maps and magic bullet looks to create a really cool invisibility VFX shot, like something that you'd see from Wonder Woman 1984. It's pretty cool, and I think you can have a lot of applications for that. It's a little bit outside of my field of territory, but I'm not going to lie, it was interesting to watch regardless. Just a quick heads up for those broken down presentations though that are hosted on YouTube. If you do have the time, I would actually recommend watching the full version hosted by Matthias Amotala, especially with that March edition, as it also includes like post talks with each professional after the presentation, and that can include tons of like different helpful hints and tricks explaining why they've gone through that process uh, using those methods and really hearing these people not only talk about how they've been able to do it but also explain why they've done it can be really helpful. I would definitely recommend uh, watching the full version if you can. These shows uh, happen every month by the way and talking about that three day show uh, earlier over in April um, that Paul Babb was talking about within the March edition we're possibly going to be seeing some more updates from Maxim and what is exactly going on behind the scenes. So we might see some product updates and new features, who knows. There are also, as mentioned by Simon Walker um, on the March edition, lots of different sort of live streams done by the Maxim training team. At the very least, you can get access to like sessions essentially, where they're explaining a feature or I think a workflow. If you miss out on any of them, by the way, you can access them on the Maxim training team YouTube channel. And Simon also mentioned a few additional workshops, which I think are coming up in May. All of this info, by the way, was gathered by that 3D and motion design show. So really keep that show on your calendar if you want basically the most up-to-date news in terms of what's going on with Maxon. Let's move on to the Adobe 2021 update. So the big one, of course, is Premiere Captions, but we'll get into that 
in a bit after we talk about After Effects and Photoshop. So onto the After Effects side of things. And the funneling outtakes are probably more useful for designers animating motion graphics. So firstly is the improved composition toolbar, which is relatively a small change, but just makes life that much easier by allowing a more seamless transition from 2D to 3D elements. Basically, it just brings those 3D options in when you actually have a 3D layer within your composition, which to me just makes things a little bit more cleaner. Next is the real-time 3D draft preview, and that's basically the new render engine, as Adobe put it, which I think apparently improves playback within a 3D scene. I'm not too sure, I suppose it would, but I'm not too sure if that applies to anything VFX related. So if you're turning basically making a 3D scene using footage in order to import 3D elements into it, uh, you might see some playback improvements, but I at least know for this setup, for designers using motion graphics, uh, you should see an improvement when you're getting into creating a 3D scene. And the next thing, which is gonna sound quite silly, is the 3D ground plane. Now in After Effects, if you're running the latest version, you should see a new button. And again, this sounds really silly, but this is my favorite new addition. Basically, when you're looking through your active camera in a 3D scene on 3D draft mode, you can see a 3D ground plane, which gives you kind of a really good point of reference if you basically set all the 2D layers on top of that. For 2.5D compositions, this is definitely cool, as I always find it slightly difficult to keep track on where things are visually, especially from the viewport when there's no point of reference to what's exactly happening. For example, if you're trying to establish where a horizon plane should be, this should help you keep track of that reference point. It sounds so ridiculously silly that that's my favorite thing of all. It's a small thing, but it's a lifesaver for me. Next is probably something I should be more excited for, and that's basically the ability to create motion graphics templates with swappable media. And that basically enables editors within Premiere Pro to replace images or videos within, uh, and I always mess this up, is it Mogturt? Mogurts. And it's pretty neat because basically you can create logo transitions or use video files to create specific effects and create Mogurts uh, from those compositions. Uh, then where it becomes really handy is when you get into Premiere Pro and what Premiere users can do is bring those Mogurts into their sequence and replace said logo or video with something else. So really it allows you to place placeholders for images and videos for those After Effects elements that go into Premiere. So if you're a tad bit confused on what I just said, let me just label out an example and hopefully it'll become a little bit more clearer. So one real world application I can think is that, say for example, you have a specific title card with an image on it for a video series. So you want to recycle that title card many times in different videos. What you could do is just basically just create one, then create a Mogurt out of it, and then bring that into Premiere. Well, now what you can do is replace the image within that title card with whatever you really want to. So you could have one for one episode, a different one for a different one, basically just have the one title card and then replace the image or the video with what you want specifically for that video within the series. I hope that made sense. Also, an added bonus, this isn't actually within the current version of After Effects, but it's within the beta. And what's in the beta is 
this new multi-frame rendering, which basically is a tool which utilizes multi-core processors for a lot better render time. Uh, about time, Adobe, about time. Now onto the Photoshop side of things. Not really that much to report. Photoshop works with Apple Silicon-based devices. So those are those new ARM-based CPU systems I think Apple are producing if you've been keeping up to date with that. And outside of that, I'm not entirely too sure, but I know last time I checked, although I need to check again, uh, they were doing more in terms of, um, oh, they have an application in Photoshop currently where you can upload your image and what basically an AI does, I'm assuming on their server side, is correct um, things like JPEG distortions, uh, it can colorize images, tons and tons and tons of really cool stuff. So bear in mind, while there's not much in going on in Photoshop in this round, if they haven't flushed out that system just yet, that will be around the corner because I know that you can already do so with a couple of features within that. I think it's neural something. Then we have Premiere Pro. First off, before getting to captions, uh, we have the media replacement tool. So as I said before, with Mogurt's files, you can now replace images and videos uh, within those Mogurt's files. Then there is warp stabilization, which is now four times as fast. Uh, needless to say, any amount of speed increase with warp stabilization is greatly appreciated. Unfortunately for some users, there are no more legacy or obsolete audio effects. And finally, finally getting to the major one, we have Premiere Captions. So this feature was originally within the beta. You had to register by email. I don't think it was anything too exclusive, but you did have to send off an email. It's the most exclusive thing that's ever happened to me. And if you were cleared for it, you managed to get this auto transcribing feature earlier, which was pretty cool. And playing around with that is, is pretty nifty. I'll get into more of that in a second. So if you're one of those poor souls who has to deal with captioning and you haven't captioned anything recent this month, check out Premiere Pro now because there will be a whole new captioning system and I guarantee you it is a lot better to how it used to be. It's still a pain, but it's not, it's not nearly as bad as what it was. It's quite an adjustment, but personally, as someone who's had to work with captions pretty consistently, as I said before, it's a pretty welcome change. So first of all, you'll notice that you can't create a caption file anymore in the traditional sense. You know, okay, right-clicking the uh, new item icon at the bottom of the project panel and then going over to captions. It's a little bit different. Instead, it's done through a window called text, although I don't know why Adobe didn't call the panel captions. <laughs> Maybe because too many things are called captions, I'm not too sure, but when I think about text, I more think about the motion graphic side of text. I don't exactly think about captions. It's a small bug, but it still works me though. So from there, you actually have some really cool features to play around with, including the, as said before, auto transcribe feature. So talking about it quickly, I gotta say it is really impressive. Just talking about the auto transcribe feature and basically what it does is it runs through your video audio and you can tell it specifically which track you want so you can target uh, dialogue and voiceovers and it auto transcribes what's being said and as I said before it's really impressive especially when you compare it to the competition like Rev say for example at the very least it 
absolutely stomps on YouTube's auto-transcribe. To anyone who's had to use that, you know the hilarity of the results that come from YouTube auto-transcribe. It's not exactly great. What it will do is drop that transcription in a transcript window and you can even select certain words within that window and your playhead will move to that point. So if I say auto-transcribe and within that panel I spot it, I can click on that auto-transcribe and my need will move to that point. So it's, it can be used as a really helpful tool of navigation as well. From there, you can select the create captions button, which will automatically assign captions to that transcript. So it's similar to the YouTube feature in that regard. So you basically have a transcript and then you tell it to create a series of captions and timings from that transcript and it'll listen into those words and assign those captions. I really do like this feature, but it's not the be all and end all in terms of the captioning process. As a different user will mention in a bit in talking about EBSynth, I would say it's probably good for, for getting 60% of the way there, maybe 75, but definitely nowhere near 100, as there are a couple of different things that you need to do to make sure that those captions are perfect. For example, trying this out with one of our tutorials, it's a clean voiceover, particular emphasis on pronunciation and articulation. There were still problems. Things where audio is as crisp as it could nearly possibly be and there were still spelling mistakes uh, grammatical errors uh, random full stops where it's a comma not a full stop like stuff like that really it's small issues but it's not perfect is what I'm trying to say so even after that you still have some work to do regarding correcting a couple of errors I mean to fix that you could probably easily just copy and paste everything from the transcripts panel into something like Grammarly and then just correct it as you play the video on the timeline most of it's like as I said before, around about 60, 60 to 70% of the way there. You just need to correct a couple of small things and that's mostly just the machine getting it wrong just a tad bit. Although talking about YouTube's auto captioning, where you copy and paste the whole entire text segment and it assigns timings to it, this brings me up to my next gripe. And basically when it comes down to creating captions, it doesn't give you any options in terms of the length of those captions. Now, normally we like captions to have lots of reading, especially if it's a tutorial going up on YouTube because you want plenty of time with the text to be able to read through it onto the next line of text. Premiere instead will basically just make it very small uh, and you'll start off with like small little dinky text which obviously isn't helpful. It's a small bug but it's really annoying. You can't tell Premiere, hey could you try and make each caption as long as possible when you're creating timings and that would be pretty helpful. You can do that by the way with YouTube. I mean it's not strictly a feature on there but I found this out. What you can do do is when you're copying and pasting your transcript into that assign timings segment, if you indent once, what YouTube will do is bring that next line or paragraph of text into another caption. Of course, there is a limit to that, but you know, helpful hint right there. If you want like a sentence within one box, within one caption, just indent around it. Uh, right, back onto the positives. Captions now exist in their own track above everything else. And the best thing is that instead of being this one awful, awful interface, which was disgusting, now each caption kind of operates now like a clip instead, which is, oh, it's so much better. It's so much better than what they had beforehand. Uh, so you can extend certain captions. You can select a partition of a caption and move them along. Again, just like a clip. 
And there's just so much more breadth in terms of making adjustments now, which has been missing from creating captions in donkeys. As I said before, it's a little bit of a learning experience getting used to it, but once you get used to it, you're like, oh, wow, this is just so much better. Basically what this enables you to do easily is make adjustments to your edits with your captions already in place because you can move sections of those captions now. So instead of receiving feedback from a client when the project is completely ironed in stone saying hey could you make this once more adjustment and then dying inside because you have to readjust the timings of everything you can now make those adjustments within your edits and readjust the timings of the captions as you're going along as i said before they operate like clips now on that sectioned off part of the timeline and you might have been screaming beforehand like hey why you can't make them a certain size why don't you just use the merge function and yeah you can um in order to cure that like you still need to go through all of them but in order to cure that problem where your captions are too small you can merge captions together very easily you just select them both and just select the merge button again it's so much more easier now uh the other small gripe <laughs> although i will end this on a negative note the only other small gripe that i have coming straight from generating timings is that it'll leave like annoying spaces between each caption what we're left with is still infinitely better than what it was beforehand but it's still a small irritant if you have the budget for it i would still recommend using services like rev if you can to just generate all the captions for you while you work on something else safe to say even now with a 20 minute long video you're still looking at like two hours bare minimum and that's not even thinking about you know the caption structure how much you want to place on each line of caption so it's still a lot of time that you have to invest in captions this isn't going to cure that problem it at the very least makes it manageable and easier Okay, so that's the Adobe side of this over and done with. Let's get into something that's uh, quite different and I think definitely interesting. <laughs> if I needed to justify that, then it's probably not interesting, but I think it is. But it's still something that we spotted as we're going through research. And this is an EB synth tutorial produced by a channel called Academy of Edits. And what this guy is doing is converting three Harry Potter shots with very small tweaks. And they all variate in terms of complexity. We won't go into the very fine details too much because it's definitely worth just checking out the video. So we're only gonna go through this in broad strokes. But but first example that Academy of Edits goes over is uh, changing a tie from a bow tie on Daniel Radcliffe. And it's a very subtle change, but when you look at the final results, you wouldn't tell. As I said before, it's extremely impressive. The second example, and this is probably the most impressive one, I think. Um, the second one is changing Daniel Radcliffe's actual performance in a different scene. So the face was like concerned thinking. And what he did was turn the face into more like a sulky frown expression in Photoshop using a few different frames. The last one was just making Slugworm look slightly younger. I'll try not to explain too much about this because it's a fairly long one and obviously I don't really want to spoil the entire process. The way it's explained is extremely simple, I definitely assure you. And this is the reason why I go into saying it's it's very simple because there were a lot of comments uh, on that YouTube videos giving positive feedback, outstanding, and then there was one or two I think that are saying it's, it's not as simple as it seems. And yeah, if you don't deal with After Effects too often, it's going to seem fairly complex i'd say uh, you'd need to be at the very least an intermediate with photoshop and after effects um, and if you are so you should be able to pick up this tutorial no problem at all and i'm going to quote academy of edits word for word because i can't put it better myself what you'll find 
with eBSynth is that it's an awesome tool for getting 80% of the way there, but you will have to put in 20% if you're going to be using this for VFX work. But even considering how much time you'll save by that 80% that eBSynth takes off from you is still outstanding. The really cool thing is that with each example Academy of Edits use, there's a different series of technical problems that you have to encounter. He also goes into each setting in eBSynth and how it affects the end result in this kind of VFX context. The really cool thing is that each example has a different use. So as I said before, you can make someone look younger, you can change someone's facial expressions even, and of course you can remove parts of a shot and replace them with something different using After Effects later. As I said before, it's got a variety of different uses to it. And a really good thing is within each example, there's a different technical problem to tackle. So say for example, where Academy of Edits changed Daniel Radcliffe's actual face, like the facial expression. So you have to send multiple different frames into Photoshop, get that changed, and then send it back into eBSynth. I'm butchering this, of course, but it's really, really cool as you have a variety of different circumstances with a variety of different uses, all with different technical challenges. And I think uh, Academy of Edits does a stellar job in making this seem as simple as possible. Okay, so you're probably thinking to yourself, nice gimmick. It's all right. Well, the thing is, is that as actually commercial applications for this, in case you're in doubt, if you've been browsing without Adblocker, first off, go you, you'll notice there's this one ad for, I think, this guy being slowly aged, and it's all one shot and he's talking to the camera, I think. Um, that's actually done using a mixture of FaceApp and eBSynth. So obviously some tinkering behind that toot in order to get that working. As I said before, same quote as above, eBSynth will get you 80% of the way. If you're curious about how that was done, Artlist actually have a video on their channel explaining the process and it's just like a small little tutorial on how they got that shot to work and it's very impressive. So if you're into digitally re-aging, check that one out. As I said before, it's on Artlist's YouTube channel. It does require some intermediate knowledge of After Effects and I'd say Photoshop as well, but if you've got that knowledge, then really don't feel put off by any measure of complexity. It is quite simple. Okay, so on to the last subject before we get talking about ourselves, and that's the recent release of Frame.io Transfer 1.1. So basically, it's a client-side app for PC and Mac users for use in transferring files from Frame back to the computer. It's much more better than using the browser, uh, I have to say, for a multitude of different reasons, which we'll get into later. I mean, one of the core reasons is that you don't need to share any processing power if you're internet browser of choice. So say for example with Google Chrome, I know that eats like heaps of memory and you don't have to deal with the slog that frame IO can be when uploading and downloading via the browser, or at least in my case in point. In any case, so the new version of transfer has came out and that's 1.1. So now you have a much better contextual menu where you can basically just interface with the app in a similar fashion to as you would with the browser. So you can create folders, subfolders, private folders, and of course shuffle them about to your heart's desire. You can also navigate using the search function too, allowing you to hunt down specific scenes or production folders or really whatever really you want to find. So the other thing with 1.1 is that it's also a lot more clearer on where you're uploading files to now with a handy little text tab appearing when you drag files over. Again, I think you have like mostly the same functionality now in this program as you do within the web version. So you can also see the process of uploading files independently too. So 
you're not exactly stuck with just a progress bar and guessing which file is going to be on the cloud first. Several small but useful tweaks in the UI. Now you're probably wondering, all right, well, I can just do it via the web browser. It's no bigger of a deal. I don't need an application. Onto the cool stuff on why you would use this rather than the web version. So for a start, you have better utilization of high-speed internet connections rather than having to go through the browser. If you're using a browser, obviously you have to go through their rules. And it's also just a lot more streamlined through the app, which is intended to transfer files about other than a web browser, which is meant for browsing the internet. What I'm trying to get at is that by using this, you'll probably see better upload and download speeds, even from the same internet connection. I also think it's probably more reliable with less points of failure like i know with the web version sometimes i'll be waiting to send off an edit and hoping that it hasn't frozen on the upload for one reason or another you also get direct feedback from the app whether or not something's uh, failed or not this one i think is probably a small feature but i can't underrate it like notifications again if an upload fails is really important if something does go wrong or isn't uploading accordingly you can also check out the log in the app just to see what's up however just branching off from that point earlier when talking about the web application via the browser. Sometimes it's difficult to ascertain whether or not something is uploading or is stuck for one reason or another. There's not really any sense of feedback is what I'm trying to get at. So it's just like a circle upload animation, which is something I'm not a great big fan of. It's a tad bit ambiguous at times, which isn't something you want to deal with, especially if it's the last thing that you've got going within the day. So in summary, I think this is probably a really good app for getting footage to and from editors. Using it feels, from my perspective, really quite fluid and nice, unlike uploading and downloading from the browser, which can sometimes feel like a bit of a slog. You still need to use that browser, however, to preview footage though, so you're not completely browser free. Although, you know, in saying that, in total, Frame is really hitting it out the park of late. Like last month, we mentioned that Cam's the Cloud example which is pretty interesting for larger productions if you want to check that out of course. And the next thing I'll just mention isn't exactly relevant to this transfer 1.1 release from Frame. It's more really about Frame in general and just checking out a couple of Reddit threads about Frame IO. There's a lot of people rating it talking about how fast it is in comparison to other services like Vimeo. I have to say after testing it out especially that Frame transfer app it is a lot more faster. You have very good access in terms of uploading and downloading from frame via the transfer apps is really quite decent. Although again, that does depend on your download speed as well. Another general theme of the thread was that it seemed more professional to use frame instead of services like Vimeo or Dropbox. I mean, it's an interesting point about image there and just in terms of image and reputation in that case in point. And I can certainly see the merit of that case and point. And I mean, another cool thing is that it gives clients the ability just to leave direct comments on videos instead of leaving you like a million one notes in an email. We all know those times. However, before you run out and buy frame, just very quickly, and this is the reason why I'm talking about professionals really not exactly casual content creators. One drawback is that it is fairly expensive. And I saw this one comment that sort of highlighted this. So if you are curious about frame and all the apps that come with it, just bear in mind this one thing. And I think this particular user hit the nail on the head with this one. And that user said, it's a great platform, but geared more towards agencies as opposed to small businesses and creators. As I said before, 
Like, it's not cheap. Okay, so and that's everything we've covered up within this March podcast. Let's just talk a little bit what we've been up to. So first off, as users may or may not know, we've been developing a load of content behind the scenes, including a Premiere Pro course. This is basically for new users to Premiere Pro, and we've tried to make it as vast as possible, just basically in terms of the very basics which users are going to want to know when starting out with Premiere Pro. So tools, the tabs, workspace, workflow. Tried also to show small details too, which other tutorials missed out. And the thing is, it's not a static course. It will be added to over time, much like last month we have, I think, over five hours worth of content. And it's essentially something which will be updated over time as Adobe also updates Premiere. And speaking of which, I think I'm going to have to tweak that captioning tutorial. Okay, so where to find us? Well, this will actually be on the new website that is on the way. So bear with, we will make an announcement when it's all there. We've also been wrapping up on the last set of Photomotion classes, and these classes are full tutorials showcasing how we've made a variety of different animations. It's broken up into several parts and sections. You know, it's, it's fairly in-depth, I'd say. Um, and the thing is, with some of these classes, you can even take away a few tips for After Effects too. So there's something in it for everyone, with classes for each projection system. So like Parallax, Horizon, Mirage, Portrait, and Glacier. Even the new projection system, Depth, that also has a few classes too. In case you're wondering, Depth is the new projection system, by the way, and will be releasing along with the new Photomotion update. So quite a lot, I think. And in total, just talking about those classes, it's going to be at least six hours worth of content. Again, that's all going to be on the new website that's currently in the works, but will be out rather quite soon. However, on a side tangent, if you're impressed with the photo animations produced or are thinking about having some made for commercial use, get in touch as we'll be launching our own photo animation service. Basically, this is probably more for large scale clients who require photo animation services, but within a short turnaround or just looking for some pristine examples for a client. So if you're a large company or head of a large company need some photo animations and don't exactly have the time to learn the software, don't worry, just give us a shout via this new service and we can help you out, no problem at all. And of course we have something else, something massive in the works which we're currently working on as well. It's pretty cool so do keep an eye out for that when the time comes. And that's about it for this month. If you're interested in what we do, you can check us out on Instagram at Integ or YouTube on the main Integnity channel. Well, that's around about it for this month. Until next time there, guys, and stay creative.